This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge at Wharton website. We're here today with Wharton Operations, Information, and Decisions Professor Sergei Netasin. Sergei, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for having me, Rachel. And you're going to talk to us about a paper that has what I think is a really great title, which is, Is Tom Cruise Threatened? And this paper is looking at the long tail theory, basically. Uh, yes. So that's uh, by now is a pretty well-established and well-known theory, which uh, uh, Chris Anderson, who was the editor-in-chief of um, uh, Wired magazine at the time, um, proposed and where he said that uh, with Internet and all these digital technologies coming in, um, people are going to increasingly shift towards niche products, products that are uniquely tailored to their unique tastes, and they will enjoy those products much more than your normal hits, like hit movies, for example, in which Tom Cruise might uh, might be present. Right. And now you're looking at this in the context, there's a huge body of research, I guess, that I got to read about when I was looking at your paper about the long tail and whether it actually exists. And you look at that in terms of the movie rental industry, which is where our friend Tom Cruise comes in to play. That's right. Yeah. So um, there, there are various contexts you can um, look at. And you know, people looked at, for example, web pages. Do you mostly visit a few kind of a top web pages versus niche web pages? You can look at. Uh, music that you play, or you can look at uh, movies. And we looked at movies uh, partially because movies example and Netflix and DVDs was one of the kind of a prominent examples in the original book by uh, Chris Anderson, um, which looked at the long tail effect. Now, this research actually looks at movie rental data from I think it's about 2001 to about 2005. And now when you looked at hits versus niches in this case, what did you find? So kind of as a big message is uh, we didn't really find any evidence of the long tail effect. And, and that kind of goes contrary to the theory and goes to contrary to a few studies that were done before us. Uh, what we found, in fact, is that if anything, you see more and more concentration of demand at the top. Uh, people, when they're faced with this huge and increasing variety of choices uh, in, in movies that they watch, they basically tend to gravitate more and more towards what they know best, which is movies in which Tom Cruise appears. And now one thing you point out in the paper is that it's not that when all these niches are being introduced, like one theory out there is that maybe they introduced a lot of low-quality niches, and that's why people were going towards the hits. And you find out that that's not actually the case. Uh, that's right, yes. So uh, one could say, look, you know, with all this internet and mobile and so on and DVDs, distribution of movies is much easier, so the market gets inundated by low-quality movies by, which are made by people we don't know, and, and you know, um, those movies kind of are numerous, but nobody really wants to watch them, and so people kind of gravitate, gravitate towards hits. That is not really what we found. We found that when new movies appear, some of them become hits, some of them become niches, and product variety keeps increasing, increasing, increasing. If you look at, uh, for example, how many movies were available on Netflix 
over time, uh, this number of movies has been increasing, increasing, increasing. So what tends to happen when you add products to variety, when instead of 20,000 DVDs, you can choose from 50 and then 100 and then a million, um, what happens is uh, demand for all movies goes down, right? So, you know, trivially, if you add product to product varieties and people are going to switch to uh, some of the newer movies and there is only limited amount of time that we have in a given day to watch a movie, right? Let's face it, we, don't, we probably don't watch any more movies than we used to be, maybe by a little bit because they're available on a mobile device now, but not like, not, five, ten, hundred times more. And variety actually increased tremendously. So demand for all movies goes down, but when people search for what to watch in this increasing product variety, they tend to gravitate much more towards hits. And we attribute it to the fact that it's, you know, first of all, it's hard to search this huge product variety. Um, uh, second, um, even if you rely on some kind of uh, recommendation systems, which every company uses now, recommendation systems are pretty basic. They only recommend something that somebody else has already watched. And so they're not going to recommend you uh, niche movies all that much, right? Um, so that's that's also a problem. And third, what we actually see in the data is that when people do go for the stale movies, they rate them very poorly. Those movies in the tales are there for a reason. They're just bad, you know. So that's pretty much what's going on. Now, I wasn't too worried about Tom Cruise after reading this research. But one thing I did wonder is... Should Netflix be threatened because their business model is increasingly becoming all about niches as more and more content companies want to sort of find their come up with their own Netflixes, for example, like Disney wants to do. And so Netflix is now having to rely on this original programming, which is very much niche focused. So should they be worried? Uh, that That's an excellent question. Um uh, it it seems so, um, although occasionally some of the original programming seem to hit and, you know, and becomes extremely popular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, House of Cards comes to mind and, you know, those kinds of shows. Um, so um, um, I don't really know, like, the latest data. We don't really have the latest data. So I don't know what proportion of revenues Netflix gets from top hits versus niches it used to be about 50 50 uh, but i think you are right it's probably much more towards the niche movies nowadays and i also wondered about and you do mention this in the paper a company like amazon which has really relied pretty heavily or marketed pretty heavily on the idea that they have a tremendous variety they have everything yeah so does this paper have a cautionary tale in it for them uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think if you are trying to bet on this kind of a strategy of offering huge variety of products, you have to work double hard on uh, recommendation algorithms and making sure that people actually find what they're looking for. Um, contemporary recommendation algorithms are are quite simple. They look at what people like you have bought previously, for example. And of course, you know, many niche niche products will just never come up. So you have to be very careful about designing those algorithms and, and making sure that whatever 
whatever uh, niche products you add, they're well classified and they actually show up in searches and they're not completely downplayed just because people buy them very, very rarely. Right. So to go back to the Netflix example, they have to come up with a recommendation good enough that I'm not just going to go back and watch Gilmore Girls again. Exactly. Exactly. Because uh, Gilmore Girls, you're going to go to imdb.com. You know, all the uh, all the actors are there. There is a, a huge, you know, probably marketing advertising budget that the movie has done independently from Netflix or Amazon. And there's going to be uh, all kinds of reviews and so on and so forth. And then you look at something which is very niche and there's going to be hardly any information to go by. There's going to be a title and, and you know, some unknown actors. So how can this show up in any reasonable search? It, it probably will not unless you work extra hard on making sure that somebody looks at it and describes it in a proper way and puts all the right keywords and so on. Now, one other thing you mentioned in the paper, well, two other things, is you talk about recommendation systems, and you also talk about setting niche products apart by focusing on their attributes. So, for example, with a movie, that would be star power. Or you also point to this idea of an omni-channel model where you have, like, the ship-to-store option. Can you talk a little bit about how companies can use those to kind of get around this? Uh, absolutely. So I think Amazon is uh, particularly good about it. If you look at um, the strategy of offering niche products, what they usually do, they don't initially offer those products themselves. They, uh, they allow third-party sellers to come on their platform and uh, let them uh, sell those products. And then, like the third party. Yeah, that's the third party, yeah. So that, that would be, you know, stores by Amazon, or, you know, used to be auctions and... Um, and so on. And and then over time, Amazon might monitor these sales and say, hey, you know, this product, which used to be unknown to us, it seemed to be selling well. Well, now we can think about maybe we, we want to bring it in and sell it ourselves. Um, so you can actually learn a lot from those third party sellers and letting them on your platform is relatively risk free. If there is no demand for those products and the sellers are, are going to die naturally. Um, meanwhile, if there is demand, then Amazon is still getting its transaction, right? So that's kind of a safe way to offer niche products without uh, committing kind of too much into them, seeing what happens with them. So looking at an omni-channel strategy for a retailer, for example, is what you mean by that, for example, if a retailer offers maybe their hits at the store, but they have their niches online, which can then be shipped to the store? Absolutely, absolutely. And if you look at, um, let's say, an average Barnes & Noble store, and, and we are talking like big mega store, uh, they would have maybe 100,000 book titles, and Amazon would have 4 or 5 million. So definitely there are lots of titles that Barnes & Noble will offer uh, you online, uh, many more than what you can buy in the store. Yeah, so you essentially you supplement your uh, brick-and-mortar channel with your uh, digital channel. Or even Amazon seems to have kind of caught on to this because my understanding is their bricks-and-mortar stores really focus on the hits. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's kind of the way to go. So one company we talk about in the paper, and you know this paper took a, a while to publish, um, at that point of time, Re uh, Redbox just started. And Redbox is a great example. They have a box which fits 400 DVDs, right? And that's it. So you, what can you do? You can only focus on, on hits. Nevertheless, the company 
captured a, a big percentage of market share uh, with only three, four hundred titles that they offer. And they're really just focusing. I mean, people think that DVD rentals is something that's going out of style, but you see those things in every grocery store. And I know that at least, for example, if my daughter is the example of the average consumer, she always stops because she knows all the things she wants, which are the hits, will be there. Right, right. Absolutely. I, I think just like uh, uh, brick and mortar retail is not going away anytime soon, uh, DVDs are not going to completely disappear. Of course, you know, uh, movie watching increasingly is shifting towards uh, towards online streaming, but, you know, not not everyone likes it. Not everyone has a proper bandwidth, you know, and, and you do make this sometimes impulse purchases uh, after going every day to a grocery store. Yeah. There's still plenty of room for hits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Plenty of room for hits, plenty of room for Tom Cruise. <laughs> and so what's next for this research? You said it's taken a while to come out, but um, what's next for the research? Um. Uh, there, there are various uh, kind of directions. I think um, at the time uh, when uh, Chris Anderson wrote his uh, book, uh, he was thinking about how um, information technologies are changing how we shop. And he was mostly thinking about comparing Internet with brick and mortar. Now we have new levels. We have, you know, mobile, right? And uh, for example, uh, my co-author, uh, Tom Tan, on this paper, he's been looking into what happens with product variety when you go from internet channel to a mobile channel. And as you can imagine, on a mobile device, it's even harder to search. It's even harder to display search results, right? And so what they find is actually, um, again, you get a reverse of long tail effect. People focus even more on hits because... You know, probably because they just don't have energy to scroll this tiny screen. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, it's it's a big, big challenge to um, to make a, a nice kind of a searchable interface on mobile. And of course, people in general search differently on mobile and use mobile uh, interfaces. Uh, but so far from what I have seen, if anything, we will be uh, living in a world of hits more and more. Um, and um, uh, there, was a, uh, there, there, there was other research uh, done on this topic. And from what I can tell, if anything, uh, people become even more complacent with more information technology and they focus just on a few things that they know well or they know that people around them like. Sergey, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. You can find more from Knowledge of Wharton on our website. We're at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find more of our podcasts by subscribing to us on iTunes. And please leave us a review. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.